0: As we've been acknowledging for the past several weeks, this is the green season, the ordinary time in the church year. It's a time for reflection, self-assessment, and this is the season when we as Christians find ourselves in a period of regular events, the orderly passing of time, and the opportunity and environment to grow and flourish in our community of faith. As Father Emerson emphasized last Sunday, it's a time to work toward our commitments to our creator and to try very consciously and conscientiously to live as followers of the Christ. In its very ordinariness, it is a basic season of the church year. And what are followers of Christ supposed to do and think and say in order to be his followers? Jesus told us to love God with our hearts, souls, minds, and strength. And further, he told us we must love our neighbors as ourselves. What is very important in contemplating Christ's mandate for us, I think, is to remember that we are to be followers of Jesus. As I recently read in a meditation, Jesus told us to follow him. He did not tell us to worship him. Yet for most of us, perhaps all of us, it's far easier to worship than it is to follow. We find it very difficult to emulate him, to live our lives in imitation of his ministry. Today's readings, like last week's, are from rather disparate sources. There's a poetic passage from Isaiah telling the story of a vineyard that does not produce good grapes and the necessity of destroying the vineyard. And The psalm enumerates what will actually become the goal of Jesus' ministry. Save the weak and the orphan. Defend the humble and needy. Rescue the weak and the poor. Deliver them from the power of the wicked." The second reading is a long recital in the letter to the Hebrews of episodes from the Jewish scriptures, declaring that even the heroes and heroines of those stories were not saved, for in Jesus' lives are only safety. And then we heard a gospel passage in which Jesus declares that his mission is to shake up the world and the people who hear his message. None of these readings may strike us as ordinary, nor orderly, nor regular, nor to be expected. In fact, they're all, in some ways, extraordinary. When I read the passage from Isaiah, I saw that it was written in verse, and the psalmist tells us that it's a song. Our readers of earlier English translations of the scriptures, and even the way the RSV is printed for our lectionary, they would have needed this hint since they aren't printed like a poem in most of the translations. In fact, much of the writing of the Hebrew prophets was composed as poetry. But that's a topic for another sermon. (laughs) In the text, the prophet says, I'm going to sing a song about my beloved's vineyard. And then here is a story about loss, about the attempt to plant and produce and be fruitful, to be thwarted. A green season that doesn't offer new life. And the metaphor should be plain, we have opportunities to harvest, but only if we plant. And we must realize that not all our efforts will produce good fruit. Even works that should be successful may be barren. And we're not to turn from God, but should learn a lesson from this story. The prophet explains what this song means. The beloved the gardener is God. The people of Israel are the vines. They fail to be faithful to the Creator, and so they do not thrive. They don't bear fruit, and they're removed from the beautiful garden. God will care for us, will put us in a safe place, tend us. But if we do not flourish, God will pull us up and plant other vines. And if we look forward to the Gospels, we might discern that perhaps the new gardener will be Jesus. This is a message, two of the passage from Hebrews. The writer of this letter, unlike the writers of some of the other epistles, he's explaining the ministry and message of Jesus, not to Greeks or Romans or Gentiles of some other area, but explaining to the Jews, to the Hebrews, how Jesus is the fulfillment of their history and the sacred writings. That's why today we hear in that second reading the quick run through of a whole list of great people from Jewish history. And each one is named, referred to, to tell of a great accomplishment. And then it's pointed out that their lives were still forfeited. Because they did not know Jesus. But now the writer explains the destiny of the Jews has changed. They now, if they accept the Messiah, can be saved. They will not perish like even the best of the Old Testament heroes The conclusion of today's reading from Hebrews is so familiar to those of us who regularly hear Father Brewer preach that I feel rather guilty about (laughs) commenting on Uh, it. (laughs) I seem to be treading uh, on the rector's territory. But the author of the letter of the Hebrews forcefully points out to his readers that they'll not be destroyed like the vineyard. They'll not succumb as did even the great actors and victors of Jewish history for they, unlike their predecessors, have an advocate and a savior. We are, the writer says, surrounded by the faithful witnesses, a whole cloud of them. And Jesus is the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. He endured a brutal death because of the joy that was set before him. And the joy, we infer, was the joy of salvation, triumph of faith in God over the fear of retribution. We, we should think closely about these words. Uh, they sound so familiar. Pioneer is one who ventures into new territory. The word actually comes from Old French and meant a foot soldier who was sent out to clear the area so the rest of the army could advance. And as Father Brewer has explained before, perfecter does not mean the same thing as being perfect if we find it... Uh, if we mean by perfect without fault. Though we might believe that Jesus himself was without fault, we find it hard to imagine that we could be without fault, even if we try to follow him. Perfect as a verb means to complete, or to establish, or to accomplish, or to come to maturity. When the author of Hebrews calls Jesus the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, we're given a glimpse of the root we ought to attempt if we're to enter the new territory of belief and to accomplish our ministry with wholeness. We're to go into the unknown territory and evolve into wholeness by moving along the path that Jesus sets for us. If we absorb the lessons of these passages from Isaiah and from Hebrews, we can perhaps better understand the admonition of Jesus in today's gospel. He sounds angry He sounds unreasonable. He's not the gentle Jesus we're probably more comfortable with. This is not the Savior meek and mild. Luke is reporting that Jesus is warning us. He's come to shake things up. Not to soothe us that everything is just fine. This is not a sweet and calm discourse. And this is an outburst. He's impatient, he's frustrated, he's warning that the world must change. The old heroes won't prevail, the vineyard may not bear fruit, and we must get ready for the disruption, even if it means we're estranged from our families, from our previous acquaintances, fathers from sons, mothers from daughters, even if our roots are torn up. You can predict the weather, he says, but you're blind to what's going on around you. Wake up, come on, follow me. Like the failing vines, like the Jewish ancestors who prevailed but perished, we must change our ways. Can we accept the challenge to be his followers? He's out there, the foot soldier. He's already made his way into the unexplored territory. He, the complete one, is showing us the way. And he's giving us a sign with his message, if followed, we'll overturn the world. It will be a revolution. He's challenging us to follow in wholeness. And if we could do that, it would not be ordinary time. Amen.